This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. We love talking about space stuff on this program. We never, ever get tired of John Williams's excellent theme song to the rather cheesy TV program, Lost in Space. We encourage you, dear listener, to get a little bit lost in space yourself this week by going out and looking east after dark. You will see up in the sky the king of the planets, Jupiter, shining in all of its glory. And it is all of its glory because Jupiter just passed opposition, where it is opposite the sun, on the 8th. But because of the fact that I guess the Earth is heading out to space a little bit and Jupiter's coming in, 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 Jupiter's coming a bit closer, our two planets are actually closest tonight. When you go out and spot Jupiter, which shouldn't be hard, it's the brightest thing up there. If you look above it, you'll see a rather pretty orange star, Arcturus. And to the right, you will see an also impressive blue-white star, which is Spica. The three form a rather glorious triangle up in the eastern sky. Jupiter will reach its highest point at midnight, which makes sense. That's when it would be opposite the sun. If you go out shortly after dusk and look to the west, you'll see an impressive Venus, which will be with us for the next few months. Venus, at its absolute brightest, does outshine Jupiter, but Jupiter is at its peak right now, and I think it wins the battle slightly. We think they're both worth having a look. We uh, try to do follow-ups on this program whenever possible, and we posed the question to you, dear listener, some weeks, I guess months back at this point, that the glowing review of Donald Trump's physical health by his doctor, published last year, seemed to bear all the earmarks of having been written by Donald J. Trump himself. As a physician, I can tell you that it would be highly unusual for any doctor to examine a person and say, he's probably the most healthy plumber that we've ever had in the entire Bay Area, let alone that he's probably the most healthy president we've ever had. Well, in the wake of some difficulties with the President of the United States, Dr. Harold Bornstein has now admitted that Trump did, in fact, dictate the entire letter. Dr. Bornstein is apparently on the outs with the president because he revealed to the public, and truthfully probably should not have done this, but he did reveal to the public that he has prescribed for Mr. Trump Propecia, which is a drug that helps a man retain his hair. As I think is pretty clear, Donald Trump is not exactly the poster boy for Propecia. This revelation to the press angered his longtime patient, who on February of 2017 evidently sent a longtime bodyguard, a Trump Organization lawyer, and a third large man who pushed themselves into the Park Avenue offices of Dr. Bornstein. After making their presence known, but evidently taking no action, 
They left, but did return two days later to reclaim all of the medical records that Dr. Bornstein had of Donald Trump. According to the good doctor, they spent 25 to 30 minutes hoovering up all the original copies of Trump's medical records. I have been in medicine for 35 years at this point in time, and I have never in my life heard of a comparable exercise in grabbing forcefully all of your medical records out of a doctor's office. Now, you do technically own your medical records, but you have to sign HIPAA papers to guarantee that they are not disclosed to others, people who are not authorized to have your medical records. Dr. Bornstein's case evidently no HIPAA papers appeared as the medical records disappeared. Now, when the FBI came into Trump's lawyer, Michael Cohn's office, to remove a lot of records using a subpoena, he declared that the very integrity of the federal government appeared to be hanging in the balance. And, oh my, we're going to have to talk a little bit about Michael Cohn and Donald Trump and some of the recent startling revelations which have emerged. This is the sort of thing that compels us, dear listener, to turn the mic on and talk about this stuff. If you are, say, 19 years of age and new to observing what goes on in federal politics, the current circus in Washington may not seem that extraordinary to you, but rest assured, it is. But you know what? I just want to stay in the shallow end of the Trump pool for the moment, and in fact, get out of the pool momentarily and talk about something else. That something else <laughs> would start with the fact that Radio Parallax enjoys sound effects on a regular basis. We think it perks up the program, gives it a little bit extra punch. Case in point. But when we've talked about truly screwball stuff over the years, there's one sound effect that we've constantly relied upon. Mr. McMillan? We have on fewer occasions employed its first cousin, a sound effect which illustrates crazed devotion. Mr. McMillan? And because we have used his work on occasion, we think that it is our duty to honor the voice that produced it, which was that of Chuck McCann. Mr. McCann passed away on April 8th of this year. Described as an American comedian, radio, stage, television, and film actor, voice artist, commercial presenter, and television host, he was perhaps best known for his work in presenting children's television program and animation, as well as his own program, The Chuck McCann Show. He also recorded comedy parody-style albums. He was a well-established figure all over television when uh, he was approached by General Mills to <laughs> provide the voice for Sonny the Cuckoo Bird. It wasn't all roses. He was one of the stars of Turn On, George Slaughter's offshoot of Laugh-In, which was considered so bad that it aired exactly once and disappeared from television. Back in the 1970s, which I'm sure many of you remember, dear listeners, he became famous in a long-running series of commercials for RightGuard Antiperspirant. He was, you may recall that in those commercials, a man would go to his medicine chest, open it up, and find his neighbor on the other side of the medicine chest, who cheerfully Never. greeted him with the catchphrase, Hi, guy. Yes, that was Chuck McCann. 
described by Mark Evanier in, in Radio Parallax's favorite blog, News From Me, as follows. Oh, Mark Evanier did produce the Garfield TV program and used Chuck McCann in that. And said, Chuck McCann was an outstanding member on any list of funny people. His 60s kid show in New York was legendary. And I don't think I was ever in a public place with Chuck without someone recognizing him and telling him how much they'd grown up on that show and loved it and him. Often I'd find myself around a table with Chuck and other funny folks, and here's how it would go. Someone would tell a story about a bad agent. Then almost everyone else at the table would tell a story about a bad agent. And then Chuck would tell the best story about a bad agent. Or someone would tell a story about Milton Berle. Then almost everyone else around the table would tell a story about Milton Berle. And then Chuck would tell the best story about Milton Berle. Or someone would tell a story about teleprompters. Then almost everyone else around the table would tell a story about teleprompters. And then Chuck would tell the best story about teleprompters. When it come to telling great anecdotes, no one could follow him. And that, dear friends, is a skill for which we have unlimited admiration. Telling a story is one thing. Telling a story exactly right is another. As Mark Twain once said about a word and exactly the right word, it was the difference between lightning and the lightning bug. And speaking of comedy, although in this case it may not involve exactly the right words, we should talk about Michelle Wolf and her appearance at the White House Correspondents Association dinner. The Correspondents Association was forced to apologize for the monologue of Michelle Wolf. Conservatives were outraged. It was noted by David Frum in the Atlantic.com that these were the same people who were not outraged when candidate Trump mocked a disabled reporter or said of Carly Fiorina, look at that face, would anybody vote for that? Yes, this is the man who, as president, calls the former director of the FBI a slimeball and his former opponent, Hillary Clinton, crooked. Remember those rallies during the campaign where lock her up was the chant that was taken up by the crowd? Noted Mr. Frum, the snowflakes in Trump's White House demand decencies and courtesies which they habitually deny to others. Writing about this episode in thedailybeast.com, Aaron Gloria Ryan said, Spare me the pearl clutching, <laughs> which I rather like. Spare, spare me the pearl clutching. She said, quote, Unlike a Sarah Huckabee Sanders-helmed press conference, Wolf, Wolf's set at the correspondence dinner contained no lies, and some of her harshest barbs were aimed at the smug journalistic insiders sitting in the audience. Wolf rightly accused the media of having a symbiotic relationship with the Trump circus, devoting millions of words to his every utterance while ignoring important stories like the fact that Flint, Michigan still doesn't have clean water. She went on to say, a comedian's job is to deliver uncomfortable truths. Wolf's acerbic routine provided the sort of acid honesty that America needs right now. Commenting on this, our good friend Will Durst said, that it's crazy to consider Wolf's monologue as having gone too far when, when you compare it to the day-to-day -day realities of the Trump administration, or words to that effect. Great guy, Mr. Durst. We need to get back on this program again sometime soon. 
And somebody we might have enjoyed having on the program in the past, who has turned out to be, well, not such a great guy, is Mr. Bill Cosby, who, as you no doubt know by now, was convicted by a jury in Norristown, Pennsylvania, of drugging and sexually assaulting a woman named Andrea Constant back in 2004. Cosby faces 30 years in prison, which at his age he's not going to serve. One of the screwy things about the Bill Cosby case, where he has, of course, been accused of assaulting at least 58 women, is that most of those allegations were rendered moot by statutes of limitations. In fact, I understand that it is outrage over the Cosby case that has caused many states to change the laws on rape to eliminate the rather short statute of limitations on them of 10 years. At least in some cases, that's my understanding. I think it varies state to state. I believe in California, it was 10 years until they changed it, and we'll have more to say about that in a minute. But Bill Cosby's case is a great tragedy. Although he has long been criticized for not using race as a part of his act, the fact that he did not do so did a lot to make this country more colorblind. We should not forget that Bill Cosby, back in the 60s, was the first black man to be the lead in a television program, which at this point seems crazy. But the America of 50 years ago is not the America of today. Thinking about Cosby, I picked up a book, which um, we talked about in this program some years back. We interviewed its author, Gerald Nachman. The title is Seriously Funny, The Rebel Comedians of the 1950s and 1960s. and talks about everybody from Mort Saul to Tom Lear to Ernie Kovacs to Shelley Berman to Dick Gregory to Woody Allen and Bill Cosby, among others. Writing about Bill Cosby, Gerald Nachman said, Some in the media kept peppering Cosby for being untrue to his roots. And indeed, to his true, feisty, often churlish self. A TV Guide interviewer called him by turns combative, defensive, challenging, threatening, and hostile. One of the most arrogant celebrities I've ever met. He once blew up on the Phil Donahue show when audience members asked him his opinion on certain racial issues. It's none of your business, he snapped. He said justifiably that he was sick of having to discuss race because he was black. When Bob Newhart comes on here, let's have him talk about it. Here's the little paragraph that really surprised me. In the mid-90s, on an annual TV press tour, Cosby had a tent built and filled with pillows outside a hotel. Recalls a witness, he was dressed like a Turkish caliph, smoking a cigar surrounded by all these people. That's him. He likes to be this gigantic sultan. Everyone tells me that's the way he is. Privately, he enjoys the company of fellow sultans like Donald Trump. Bill Cosby, a pal of Donald Trump? Going back to the 1990s? Wow. Mr. Merlin says he is shocked by this piece of information that Donald Trump actually has friends. That might be a little unfair. We know he has at least one friend, the publisher of the National Enquirer. The National Enquirer bought the story about Trump's year-long affair with a playboy, I think playmate of the year. He bought it and buried it because he's Trump's buddy. She, however, has won a lawsuit against the Inquirer and apparently will now be free to tell her story again to the public. In a sneak preview to the good, the bad, and the ugly, we would note that the Week magazine noted 
this week that it was a bad week for Michael Cohn, president's legally embattled longtime fixer after the National Enquirer, owned by Trump ally David Pecker, ran a cover story on Cohn's secrets and lies. When asked if that story was a message that the president might turn on him, Cohn replied, what do you think? Not to say that Mr. Pecker is slanting the news in the National Enquirer, but right below that headline about Trump fixers, secrets and lies, there was a headline, plus what Comey didn't reveal in his book, Trump passed polygraph proving no Russia collusion. No Russia collusion? Hold on, we'll return to that story. But let us at this point segue between President Donald J. Trump, disgraced comedian Bill Cosby, and the Golden State Killer. And yes, we're surprised as you are to contemplate one degree of separation between President Trump and the Golden State Killer. And frankly, maybe it's a bit fair to, uh, to draw that connection. But uh, if you'll take a moment to recall Donald Trump's comments in that Access Hollywood tape, it would seem he has a rather unhealthy view of the opposite sex, or at least his relationship to the opposite sex. You no doubt recall those remarks, those which led women across America to don pussy hats. Seems rather undeniable that uh, Trump's buddy, Bill Cosby, has a rather unhealthy attitude about the opposite sex himself. It has been sometimes difficult in years past to obtain a conviction for sexual assault because defense attorneys would tend to make the accuser the defendant. They did this, of course, by attacking her integrity or by Im- and or by implying the whole thing was, quote, unfair, quote, unquote, gone wrong. And while we've been strong critics of the American judicial system on this program, we fear that our criticism may just have been handed belts of ammunition. The Golden State Killer was finally apprehended late last month Thanks to DNA evidence. Now, I suppose technically I'm duty-bound to refer to the man in custody as the accused. But if press reports are correct, the DNA from this individual was taken from the bodies of at least a half dozen murdered women and rape victims. The investigators in this case are sure they have their man and we have no reason to doubt them. But it's sad for me to note that as I sit before the microphone right now, I must note that they took this guy into custody two weeks ago, more than two weeks ago. He was hauled into court on April 30th and did not enter a plea. How do you get to not enter a plea? His next hearing is scheduled for the 14th of May. Do you suppose that at that point in time he'll be required to enter a plea? Now, they're going to hold this man's feet to the fire on the murders he committed because there is no statute of limitations on murder. But sadly, for a man who raped 50 California women, there is for rape. And he will not be charged for the rape of any of his victims because too much time has elapsed. So while it is good that the Bill Cosby case and some others in recent times have caused us to re- evaluate the statute of limitations on sexual assault. This is small comfort in the case of the Golden State Killer. We will follow this case because it is an important one, and one which did touch me personally slightly. 
Keith Harrington was two years ahead of me in medical school at UC Irvine. I met him once in the presence of some friends who had dealings with him. I did not actually have a conversation with him. But my heart certainly sank when a month or two after that, I saw his face in the paper as being that of a murder victim. His brother spearheaded the effort to get a DNA database for California criminals, felons. And the great novelty of this case is that while the perpetrator in this case did not make many mistakes when it came to police procedures because he was a cop himself, one thing he did not guard himself against was DNA evidence because four decades ago there was no such thing. The authorities were able to use a website which is basically a clearinghouse for DNA information to locate relatives of the man accused and work their way forward in time to locate their suspect. And while his DNA matches that of the crime scene, I think you'll recall, dear listener, that DNA evidence does not ensure a conviction. If you don't believe me, just ask O.J. Simpson. We're often told that our Constitution, the Constitution of the U.S., guarantees a swift and speedy trial. You're guaranteed that if you want it. No one seems to want it. Well, slight correction. Even if you do want it desperately, the courts in this country are so jammed that it is something, shall we say, rarely seen. And if I might editorialize just a bit, which is what this show is, isn't it? One big editorial. I anticipate, sadly, that we will see in this case justice delayed. But if I may editorialize a bit, you're supposed to be guaranteed a fair trial in this country, not a trial where you have a good chance of getting off, despite the evidence. But wouldn't you know it, no sooner had these proceedings started than the accused's court-appointed attorney attempted to block efforts by the police to photograph the genitals of the accused. He was, by all accounts, rather famously under-endowed, shall we say. Now, i got to admit, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a police investigator. And uh, if your DNA is found inside of a murder victim, well, they're not going to be able to provide meaningful descriptions of your genitalia. But the rape victim certainly can. And although he's not going to be charged with rape, there's certainly a consistent M.O. here. And one certainly hopes that in some fashion they're going to be able to connect the Southern California murders, including the one that took place in Visalia and the two that took place in Rancho Cordova, to the same individual. And I hope above all else this does not turn into another O.J. Simpson case. Rather curiously, a month before this man was apprehended, I had a conversation with a friend who suggested that someone he knew could be the Golden State Killer. I listened to his story. I found it compelling. I spoke with Steve Ferdine, former detective with the San Jose Police Department and, and former Radio Parallax guest. He runs the TV program Fugitive Watch, who, who runs the website Fugitive Watch. It is on TV sometimes. I don't know how that works. Steve was quite interested in the details. And when the arrest took place a few weeks later, he said he just assumed it was my guy, or rather, my friend's guy. Well, it turned out it wasn't. As I say, we are going to follow this case because it's 
going to be a big news story. And certainly if you lived anywhere near Sacramento in the 1970s, you knew about the terror inflicted on the community by the East Side Rapist. I did have an interesting talk with Steve and also with another friend of mine from childhood who was formerly a police officer in Fremont about how good basic police work can help make an arrest. And according to reports in the press, one of the rape victims, one in Davis in 1978, provided what was a key clue to the arrest of the suspect. He said during the incident, I hate you, Bonnie. When asked by the Davis police if they were, if she was sure that's what he said, she said, I can assure you, he said, I hate you, Bonnie. When they were coming forward from DNA genealogy in time, focus was to center on Joseph D'Angelo in no small part because he had been engaged to but was rejected for marriage by a woman named Bonnie. My friend in the Fremont police told me about how her suspicions of a suspect in the Union City area led to his arrest. He was also a serial killer, and um, I may ask her to come on this show and talk about how that went down, because it is a curious tale, which I'm quite positive I cannot do justice to. Anyway, we need to take a short break. As we do that, I'm rather desperate to lighten the mood. All right, let us close with one legal item that's considerably less grim than what we've been talking about. The state legislature in Hawaii has passed legislation that would ban skin care companies from selling and distributing sunscreens in Hawaii that contain two chemicals deemed damaging to coral reefs. This would be a first-in-the-world law of its type. Senate Bill SB 2471 states that the chemicals oxybenzone and octinooxate have significant harmful impacts on Hawaii's marine environment. Writing about this, the Washington Post noted that according to the Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History, coral reefs are crucial to marine and human life. The Smithsonian went on to further elaborate (laughs) that in addition to protecting sea creatures, the reefs provide food, medication, and tourism jobs, along with what are described as other things, all of which was valued somewhat imprecisely as between 30 to 172 billion dollars per year. We'll have more to say in our second half about such valuations. Since we're big fans of Hawaii and swimming in Hawaii, uh, we're going to follow this one closely. Happily, there are a lot of things out there that can be used as a sunscreen. Douglas Everett, this is Radio Parallax. Let us take a break. <laughs> 